0: Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your
1: relationship with Christ and His Church. Discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all.
0: Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining me as always, from the virtual studios in South Bend is the man who likes his barbecue sauce shaken, not stirred. <laughs> Ken Helanius. <laughs> Ken, how you doing, my friend?
1: I am very well. Thank you. Thank you. I uh, actually lo. just just the other morning. I was uh, thinking about barbecue sauce like you do in the mornings uh, because I was preparing. We cooked four big uh pieces of pork for pulled pork for julie's co-workers my beloved bride celebrating her fifth anniversary at saint joseph parish and wanted to make pulled pork for the entire parish staff so right. of course she wanted to have pulled pork so that meant i spent 14 hours cooking pulled pork <laughs> but it was good it was a lot of fun and a joyful occasion right five years uh, in in her job uh, she is the parish secretary and she loves Working for the church, and which is itself amazing, because she is—I know I've talked about this before—she was not raised with any faith. So her exposure to the Catholic faith is at the at the office, and she probably has had more masses offered for friends and family than I've ever had offered for people throughout my entire life. And so, uh, this close, right? So yeah, the Lord yeah. is, is finding his ways to work into her life. So lots uh, of sugar.
0: wonderful wonderful yeah. that's good to hear and the sacrifices you make for your for our spouses though can you know <laughs> well saving not, over 14 hours of pull i tell you
1: it's not like it's a huge you yeah, know, yeah. yeah <laughs> right i mean gosh occasionally i have an adult beverage while i'm while i'm tending to the to the pellets and the traeger grill come on i'm okay yeah.
0: <laughs> outstanding outstanding you're well <laughs> yeah yeah i'm doing well um you know i just found out my uh, upcoming trip well wasn't really full but australia's canceled oh yeah um, yeah so yeah they're not going to be um uh, how how uh, will they open. leave unless they have heard deacon i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we were hoping it would it we were hoping it would happen but um i just heard uh, this week that it's not going to you know they don't think uh, they don't have enough time to plan you know by the time they figure the government opens the country and stuff and it's going to be a from what I understand, a slow opening, mm-hmm. so there's no way they can. In fact, in fact, they're thinking about even canceling events they had planned for October. Wow. You know, so, yeah, yeah. So it's gonna. It's it's that. It's that kind of that kind of year again yeah. uh, this year. So, wow. Yeah, and we'll see how. Other than that, I'm doing 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 well. Um, I think work on another book. You know, and um, made reference to that. So uh, what are you working on now? Yeah, this book's going to be a Catholic response to racism. Um, okay. I've been receiving uh, um, a lot of wonderful feedback from people and even from the folks at Ignatius Press about the things, the articles I've written in my talks regarding uh, the Catholic response to racism that cuts through all the polemics and triumphalism and, and politics and gets straight to the heart of the gospel, yeah. how do we respond as people of faith. So, so they asked me to write a book on it, so that's, that's what I'm, I'm doing right now.
1: Wow. Well, you know, even last week as we were chatting about Evangelium Vitae, Pope John Paul II's 1995 encyclical on the Gospel of Life, we were commenting on how this particular um uh sorry, this particular encyclical is about more than just, you know, abortion and euthanasia and things like that. It's about the the true gospel of life being a message of us being incorporated into Christ and of us all being parts of the body of Christ and you made reference to this speaking even to questions of racism and uh injustice and things like that too.
0: Yeah, that's right. And uh that's what I think makes this uh, encyclical so masterful. Um because you know, it's 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 fairly lengthy, you know, but um but chock full of just um wonderful reflections tons of scripture man right. just it just it just fascinates me just how much scripture the holy father uses and references it actually makes you think of those scriptures in a different light when when you when you're approaching it from the perspective of life you know yeah. you see these verses like, oh okay now john paul just is giving me a new way to appreciate and uh, and understand how this scripture uh, incorporates into my life every day how i can think about it and
1: meditate on it you know it's just a uh, Beautiful, beautiful gift to the church. Yeah. Well, we're picking up our conversation with paragraph 37 in a section entitled, Whoever Lives and Believes in Me Shall Never Die, which is itself a scriptural quote, John eleven twenty-six, 26, the gift of eternal life. Um, and for me, this section here uh, kind of hints at something that I talked about last week as well. To know God and his Son— as he says, is to accept the mystery of the loving communion of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit into one's own life, which even now is open to eternal life because it shares in the life of God. So what he's talking about here is when we um, embrace the gospel of life, we are imaging the internal communion of the Trinity. And we are entering into the life of the Trinity, and we're beginning to have it right here and right now, and experience it. But that's also the promise that we're pointing towards in the gift of eternal life.
0: Yeah, that's that's you know that that's called the circumcision or divine perichoresis, the technical theological, theological term for that sure. indwelling. You know, uh, the the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that uh, internal relationship of of love and intimacy between the three of them. And the fact that we get to share and participate in that life in heaven, you know in some way obviously we we're not God, but i mean but but we get to share in that loving communion and relation which um the sacrament of matrimony anticipates which the sacrament of holy orders anticipates you know the fullness of that relationship is going to be in heaven, right you know uh, as it says in revelation nineteen nine right blessed are those who are called to the wedding feast of the lamb, right? That's ultimately where we're heading. And so, you know, it, 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 trying to think of what that's like. I mean, if you ex- think about the most intense experience of love that you've ever had, it's like a drop in the ocean compared to what it's gonna be like in heaven. I mean, right. I mean if you can experience like, oh man, I wish I could feel this way like all the time, that's nothing compared to the depth of the love that we're going to experience in heaven. Yeah. You know, it just, it's, it's hard to wrap your mind around,
1: you know, like what, yeah. what is that going to be like? You know, it's it reminds awesome. me, you know, I mean, this is of course on earth, the closest love that we can experience is the, the complete and utter self gift to one spouse in, in love. And for example, the physical act of love between a husband and a wife is meant to be a complete and utter gift to the other with no reservation, no holding back, none of that. And obviously here we're speaking about, you know, the the gift of self, which can create another human being. Right? We participate with God in the creation of an eternal soul. When a mother and a father, you know, as they say, when a mommy and a daddy really love one another, right? But that's true. That's actually at its core the complete gift of self to the other. And it's in those moments that we are truly participating in God's creative act. And that's why, of course, things like contraception are a complete countersign. Because it says, I will give everything of myself to you, but this, I will, I will love you as much as I can, except, and that's why it's a, not only a countersign, but it's, it's actually at the core, it's what destroys the relationship between husband and wife, because it actually is a withholding of the deepest self to the other. And it's hard to talk about this, obviously, in a family show. But at the same time, that is what that's what Paul VI was writing about in Humanae Vitae. That's what Pius the Eleventh was writing about in Casti Canubi. It's what John Paul writes about here in Evangelium Vitae and all of these things, because it is a total gift of self, a participation in the creative life of God. Um, and it's something that you can really only appreciate honestly when you're married and when you're when you've had that experience of total gift of self, um and I think when you're you're saying you know you you have the the deepest moment of love, that's kind of what I think of when you talk about that,
0: yeah, you know a couple of things come to mind as as well. um Jesus says no greater love than um than one has to give one's life for one's friend, right to give one's life, right? And so in that. Conjugal act, there is that exchange of love and life and intimacy and communion. But it also reminds me of a couple other ways of expressing that love the gift of celibacy. So, for religious sisters or for priests mm-hmm. or for monks who literally give their entire life in prayer and service to Christ's bride, the church, or the nuns, they represent Christ's bride, the church, in intimacy with Christ, anticipating that wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven. You know, so their yeah. rela- their their relationship on earth anticipates that. and also the Eucharistic exchange as well. You know, we that's why we cannot approach the Eucharist in a state of mortal sin because we're unable to give ourselves totally to Christ. Right. and he can't give himself totally to us in that sacrament because we're not open to receiving what he wants to give us. Right. so th- that's why in First Corinthians chapter eleven, Paul speaks very strongly about being in a state of grace before receiving. The Eucharist. That's that's why he says sometimes. That's why some of you are sick or ill, or some have died, <laughs> you know, unworthily right. receiving the Eucharist. So I mean, these are these are realities uh, of life. Again, that go beyond just what we normally think of uh, an encyclical about life, you know. But this goes so much deeper than that. And by reflecting on the scriptures, I think John Paul II opens a way for us to think about. Um, our entire life, the holistic approach to life, and our state in life as a gift of God to others.
1: I love it. The next section is all about that same sort of thing. Uh, Paragraph 39 kind of talks about—or 38 um, talks about the the instinct that we have to love life, but it's in faith that we discover the meaning of that instinct, and that is communion with God— Uh, as he says, although man instinctively loves life because it is a good, and again, as you mentioned last week, it is a good, this love will find further inspiration and strength and now breadth and depth in the divine dimensions of this good. Similarly, the love which every human being has for life cannot be reduced simply to a desire to have sufficient space for self-expression and for entering into relationships with others. Rather, it develops in a joyous awareness that life can become the place where God manifests himself, where we meet him and enter into communion with him. You know, Deacon, you're talking about Eucharistic communion and what I'm reminded of there, this this moment of communion with, with God. It's also more than just receiving the Eucharist, but it's letting that Eucharist transform us as well to truly become communion with God. I think of the prayer of St. Ignatius of Loyola called the Sushi Pe, that talks about, you know, I I've received everything from you, Lord, and I hand it back to you. Only your love and your grace is all I need. And please give me that, you know, and this is what it means to enter into communion with God. Um, and I'm, uh, yeah, I pray it every time I go to Mass and every time I receive communion, even, even in these times when we haven't been able to go to Mass, even after spiritual communion, Think about that prayer of spiritual communion that we've heard so many times when watching online masses and things like that. It talks about, you know, I can't receive you, Lord, but I wish to receive you into my heart. I wish to be in communion with you, even though I've not received the host or the chalice right now. Right. This is what what we've been seeking. You know, it's very interesting. You know,
0: um, as you as you were speaking about being drawn into communion, and in reflecting on what St. John Paul II said about um, we, love is not simply reduced to self-expression. I think about artists, you know, those who draw uh, or create art, um, statues or paintings or music. You mm-hmm. know, um, yes, it, it may come from some cathartic experience that they're trying to express through that medium. But ultimately it's about drawing people in, right? Tapping into people's experiences, tapping into people's hearts, and sharing some of yourself. And then in that sharing, you're drawing people into communion. You know, that's what good art does or good music does. You know, it it draws you in. And in that sense, um, it's a reflection of God's love.
1: Yeah, you know this this is what John Paul wrote in his letter to artists, right? When yes. we were discussing that and and then we had, of course, opportunities to chat with actual artists too, you know, who who yeah. say that same thing. Think about the great pieces of art in history, not just you know, of course, you think of the Pieta, Michelangelo, talk about drawing you into Mary's experience of Christ's death, but and what does it do? It draws you into the beauty of, of Christ's self-gift of his love, his redemptive love. And Mary, who knew what was coming, right? So you're right. Yeah. Great art is more than just an expression of self, but it is something that draws you into communion. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. So paragraph... 39, then, the next section, from man, in regard to his fellow man, I will demand an accounting. So, again, John Paul is quoting Genesis. As you you mentioned, so much scripture in this document. Reverence and love for every human life is what this section is about.
0: Yeah, and he talks about human life and death are thus in the hands of God, in his power. You know, know, because we— it goes back to the, to the tree, right? He, he says, you're in charge of everything, but then he puts a limit on him. You can, everything in, in this garden is yours except for that tree. And, and part of it is a physical reminder that, that I'm God and you're not. <laughs> you know? and, and sometimes we forget that. So when we develop technologies or when we um, you know, uh, develop things that sustain life or better uh, life, um, for, for, for humanity. Sometimes we forget that the tree is there. We think we're God, right? you know? So John Paul two is reminding us, oh, okay, yes, we, we have, we can do a lot of amazing things with, with what we're able to do today, but we're still not God. <laughs> you know, well, we still have to have that respect I, for the, the creative
1: power of God. Yeah. This paragraph or this section also kind of talks about the, um, growing understanding of God's relationship and God's lordship over life. Um, because here he talks about how, you know, we read in the the covenant at Sinai. So the Old Testament, he says, um, you know, there's the commandment, you shall not kill. But then later we read an eye for an eye uh, and a tooth for a tooth. And so John Paul talks about, he says, of course, we must recognize that in the Old Testament, the sense of the value of life does not yet reach the refinement found in the Sermon on the Mount. So here he's drawing a distinction in our understanding as we continue, God's self-revelation continues, right? So it's on the mountain at Sinai that we receive the command, the absolute prohibition, thou shalt not kill. And it's in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's version of giving us the commandments, in which he continues to say, you've heard it said, you know, you shall not, you know, hurt your brother or you shall not kill. I tell you, you know, don't commit any sin against your brother. If you, if you hate him, put that aside before you approach the altar, you know, things like this. As he says, the overall message which the New Testament will bring to perfection is a forceful appeal for respect for the inviability of physical life and the integrity of the person. It culminates in the positive commandment, which obliges us to be responsible for our neighbor as ourselves. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, which is again, also from Leviticus. So the old Testament has that in there, the seeds of what we understand as the complete and utter respect for life are in the commandments. Um, And then in 41, he goes on to say, In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus demands from his disciples a righteousness which surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees. You have heard it said to the men of old, you shall not kill, and whoever kills shall be liable. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. Jesus demands more of us as Christians. Jesus demands more of us because he is the lawgiver and he can do so.
0: Absolutely. And what's interesting in that in that same paragraph 41, the height of this love is to pray for one's enemies. By doing so, we achieve harmony with the providential love of God. Right. You know, that is so easy to say, so hard to do. You know, I mean, wasn't, let's be honest, what's the last time you prayed for somebody you couldn't stand? You know, or prayed for a terrorist, or prayed for, right. you know, a rapist, or something like that. I mean, the the, the last thing we want to do is even bring those people to mind, right? But it's exactly those people that that Christ calls us to to pray for, because um, when we do that, we are in harmony with God's providential love. So what does that mean? If we don't do that, then we're not in complete harmony with the providential love of God.
1: Yeah, we're not in true communion now the reality is as you've pointed out deacon that that this is hard to do and because it's hard to do god gives us and offers us the grace that we need to actually do it And he also gives us the sacraments to help us grow closer to him when we don't do it. We need the Eucharist to sustain us with grace so that we can grow ever closer to God. We need reconciliation so that we can truly be reconciled, not just with God, but also with our brothers and sisters against whom we sin, right? Who was it that said, how can I believe in the God whom I don't see if I can't love the brother whom I do see? You know, yeah. So we need reconciliation, we need the Eucharist, we need all of the help of the sacraments in order to begin to fulfill this great commandment. As St. Paul wrote to the Romans, love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. That's how we fulfill this law, thou shalt not kill. What does Christ do when he preaches the Sermon on the Mount? He expands the meaning of what it means to kill. And he says, even to hate is to kill your brother. And so we require the gift of grace in order to do no wrong. So avail yourselves of the sacraments at all times, friends.
0: Yeah, and cooperating with that grace, that, that's the key. You know, Christ gives us what we need, but it it won't come to fruition if we don't cooperate with it. Right. You know, because he gives us freely— you know, we freely receive what he wants to give us, but we still must cooperate. That's I think that's the key that gets often lost. We're, we're talking about um, with the sacraments is cooperating, saying yes and being open. You know, it's because you're right. We, you, you can't, you know, someone drives drunk and kills your parents, you know, to, to come not just just come to grips with that, but to but to say to the person who did that, I forgive you. Right. Whoa, man <laughs> that, that takes supernatural grace right there Because all you want to do is see the person rot hell let's, let's be real right. you know, but, but Christ calls us To go beyond ourselves right? he, 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 There's this requirement To show reverence and love For the other person Even if they've done evil to us Jesus shows this example By praying um, for his enemies from the cross you know, yep. so, so Jesus doesn't does tell us he also leads by example
1: models it for us. Yes. Yeah. That's the challenge and the invitation. Oh my gosh. Um, this next section is be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it man's responsibility for life. And in this section, he actually underscores that kind of coming back to something we talked about last week, humankind is the crown of creation, but that means that we have a specific responsibility toward creation. So he says, man has a specific responsibility towards the environment in which he lives, towards the creation which God has put at the service of his personal dignity, of his life, not only for the present, but also for future generations. And here he talks about ecology. He talks about preservation of natural habitats. He talks about, uh, and he says that in the scriptures, John Paul writes, there are clear and strong ethical direction leading to a solution which respects the great good of life of every life. Um, and what he wants to point out here is that this dominion that man received in creation is not an absolute power just to use the world as we will, but it is to serve, to till the ground and to keep it, as it said in Genesis. And so this, some, you know, you can read this and see the, the kind of the beginning seeds of an understanding of what we read with, you know, uh, the Holy father, uh, Pope Francis, who's kind of continued to write about our responsibility towards creation as well.
0: Yes. I mean, uh, again, this is something I've come to appreciate since living in the Northwest, right. you know, um, uh, not just like, Oh, throw this bottle here and, you know, put this can there kind of a <laughs> thing, but, but the the responsibility that we all have to to one another and and to uh to the earth i mean without going you know overboard you know <laughs> but right, right. but at the same time accepting the responsibility that yes you know we we do have a biblical mandate act actually um to to take care of the earth so recycling and, and you know things like that you know um uh i i think are are very good things and it should be actually encouraged you know i just didn't think about it before you know living living Back East and growing up, and you know it it's just, that just wasn't an issue right um, but now we see the importance of of uh reutilizing um you know um products and 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 uh recycling and you know repackaging and all that kind of stuff it may, it actually makes a lot of sense you know it, it really does, and I think the more that we can um
1: do that, I think the better off uh, all of us will be absolutely well we're going to have to close our conversation there for tonight and we'll pick this up next week uh, because the, this paragraph goes on to talk again about our, our co-creation with God so there's beautiful stuff here but until we gather next week we invite you folks and friends to follow along uh, with us, go ahead and download Evangelium Vitae, connect with us on Facebook, just type in Livingstones Media into Facebook and uh, we have links to Evangelium Vitae there Uh, And you can also download all the previous episodes of the show at MaterDeiRadio.com. But Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing to help us get through the week with the grace we need?
0: Sure. May Almighty God bless you and keep you the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living
0: Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Mater Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to materdeiradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com. I'm your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke-Sivers, and joining me... From the studios in South Bend, Indiana Is the man whose childhood dream Was the inspiration for Barry Manilow's Weekend in New England (laughs) The one and only Ken Hellanious (laughs) Ken (laughs) Wow Uh,
1: uh, I got nothing Oh my gosh I got you, man. (laughs) You got me. You literally got me. I know very little about Barry Manilow. Would you believe that? I wouldn't say it's actually a lacuna in my knowledge. I'm not sad that I don't know a lot about him.